Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today is an exciting day as we are recording a video episode. So if you are listening right now on iTunes and you would rather see us speaking, uh, myself and a wonderful guest, simply go to YouTube and type in We Don't Die Radio 244, because this is episode 244. Our guest today is Stuart Alexander, who is one of the world's most recognized physical mediums, his development starting in his home circle back in 1967. And I'm really grateful to have met Stuart this past November at Banyan Retreat. I received a copy of his book, if you can see it right here. Uh, It is called Stuart Alexander, An Extraordinary Journey. And also, one of the reasons I felt so strongly about bringing Stuart on as a guest, I received a copy of this double CD set. I don't know if you can see it too well, but it is called Physical Seance Room, Physical Seance Room Recollections, Wonderful Memories of Physical Phenomena as Told by Senior Spiritualists, which I've listened to about five times, and they're stories from past people that are so precious that Stuart and I both feel that they need to be shared as far and wide as possible. So uh, Stuart's website, if you want to do a little bit more research on Stuart, is stuartalexandermedium.com. So I'm guaranteed, I guarantee you this will be a fun, uplifting episode as Stuart and I have had many laughs so far (laughs) in our conversations. Stuart Alexander, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Oh, I'm thrilled. Okay. <laughs> We're both thrilled, Sandra. Oh, we are. We are. There's been a lot of laughter, and laughter is just the best, I think, for the soul. Yeah. yeah. So if we, there's lots to talk about today, and I want to be mindful of time, but there's many people who don't know who you are. Of course, there's many people who do. But if you could just give a little bit of your background and... um. Physical mediumship to me was brand new two years ago, and I, it blew my mind that it was even possible. And maybe you could just give a few uh, words about how you got started in it. Yes. Um, I think I should begin by pointing out that until my early 20s, I had no interest. I knew nothing whatsoever about spiritualism, nothing. And then... Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I read Arthur Finley's all-time best-selling spiritualist book, On the Edge of the Etheric. And that, I suppose, in common with many other people who have come across that book, who knew nothing about the subject at all, it opened my eyes, you know? Um, this was extraordinary to me, what this man had written about, you know, his experiences with this unbelievable medium you know I I knew nothing about these things until I read that book and that really was the beginning of a very long journey for me Uh, and I was very very fortunate throughout my life really from that point onwards in that I have met and met many other spiritualists who in years gone by had sat with some of these wonderful, wonderful physical mediums who today we can only read about because they're no longer on this earth. And I can remember very well, many, many times, sitting with elderly spiritualists, mesmerised, absolutely mesmerised by the stories, their experiences as they told them to me. 
And it was just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And some years later, to be precise, in 1990, an organisation began called the Nose Art Society for Physical Mediumship because by then, physical mediumship had virtually disappeared from spiritualism. It virtually gone. There was no known physical mediums apart from um, apart from literally Flint's, the voice medium, and also Gordon Higginson. But apart from those two, you know, the spiritualist movement just didn't have any other physical mediums. And so the society was formed in the hope that it would encourage people to begin sitting again within home circles to try to develop this unique form of mediumship. And uh, I was very, very, very fortunate to be appointed the archives office for the society, just basically because by then I'd really studied the entire subject. I'd interviewed all of these many, many people. I knew a great deal about the history of spiritualism, all the various people, the various mediums from across Europe, America, England. I knew of them. And therefore, they appointed me the archives officer. And at a certain point, some years later, I suddenly thought it was so so sad that these elderly spiritualists that I'd spoken to years earlier were all passing into spirit. And as they passed into spirit, they were taking with them these wonderful recollections, so they were being lost to our movement. And I can remember thinking, well, I've got to do something about this. A thought came into my mind. And I placed an advert in the North Art Society monthly newsletter and also in various spiritual publications uh, asking for these people to come forward, asking if they would kindly leave on record on cassette tape their accounts of what they'd experienced many years earlier with these mediums who were no longer of this earth. And I had many, many elderly spiritualists contact me and I had a great many, I finished up with a great many cassettes where these people were telling their stories of what they had experienced. And the promise I made to each and every one of them was that their stories would always be kept alive, that present day and all future spiritualists would be able to hear their stories. And that was the promise that I made to all of these people. Anyhow, the years passed by, and one by one by one, they all, all these other spiritualists passed into spirit, so there are none now of the fair, these people who had left their recordings. And about, I don't know, 15 years later, all these cassettes were on a shelf in my library, in my study. And about 15 years later, I was working in my study and I happened to look across and I saw all of these cassettes. And in that moment, I thought, oh, no, I'd broken the promise that I'd made to all of these people. I'd silenced these people. And so, therefore, I decided I would do something about this. And I thought, well, at my next seminar, I run two seminars each year. And my next seminar, I shall take a selection of these cassettes along to the seminar, and then I would give these elderly spiritualists no longer on this earth a voice so that all the people attending the seminar could listen to these voices from the past, that they could hear, they could be addressed by these people no longer on the earth. This is what I shall do. And the very first extract from a cassette I wanted to play was from an American gentleman called Gene Woods. Gene, I was in correspondence for some years with Gene Woods, 
And he always told me, he said, Stuart, he said, I have witnessed in my lifetime every form of physical manifestation it's possible to witness. And some of his stories were just mesmerizing. Some of the things that he'd experienced that he retold. And I thought, I really must allow all these people at the seminar to hear this. And so I introduced Gene Woods and all the other people and I said, now listen. I said, it's not me that's going to be speaking to you now. It's these people from the past, these spiritualists no longer on the air. And I pressed the button on the player and the tape snapped. And I thought, no, well, actually, it was a wake-up call. Because in that moment, I realized that if that cassette had deteriorated so quickly, then all the other cassettes were also deteriorating. And I thought, I've got to do something about this. I've got to arrange to have all of these cassettes transferred onto CD. And so a friend of mine who had all the necessary equipment agreed to do this for me. And the result of it was that double CD album, which you'll just show you absolutely, the double CD album. And, you know, so that was marketed in 2014. That was made available in 2014. And as you said, Sandra, it's made up of extracts from cassettes from all these various people, all these elderly spiritualists no longer upon this earth. But their voices, their accounts, their memories are preserved forever. And all spiritualists, no matter who they are, where they are, really should listen to these people from the past. Because this tells us all something about the way that spiritualism used to be when we had wonderful mediumship like this, you know. And all right, there are wonderful mediums today, but not in the same numbers as they used to be, you know. Um, and these people tell their stories of what they experience. And so we produced this in 2014, and it really has gone all over the world. It's gone into America, it's gone throughout England, it's gone into Europe, it's gone all over, and I'm so delighted. And I can tell you this much, that whenever I listen to these, whenever I listen to these, because I knew all but one of these people, I knew them personally, I'd met them, and when I listen to them, I always have a lump in my throat because I remember these people so well. And it's like being sat there all those years ago listening to their wonderful stories. And uh, so I always get quite emotional when I listen to listening to this. So that's the story of how the CDs, the CDs came into being. Oh, yeah. I love them. And in a little while, I want to hear a little bit about your personal journey. But what I want to say about these CDs personally is being on the adventure of discovery to life after death. And it all stems from a real strong foundation in helping those of us who are grieving. Because when yes. we, and I, I know you come from the same thread, yes. we can um, really get that life after death is real, that our loved ones are still around. We live a much higher quality of life. But when I, first began research on you long before we met. I saw a video. Let's see, where were you? You were at a church, Bournemouth Spiritualist Church? Yes, indeed. Yes, and that's a video on YouTube, which I'll connect to this episode. People can find that in the description. But it's about an hour and a half, and it was on your journey. And I thought, wow, who is this man? What is physical mediumship? It was incredible. And then uh, upon, and of course, I'm delighted that we've met and we're friends now, but 
listening to these CDs, I've listened to them at least five times. And this morning when I was preparing for the interview, I was remembering for whatever reason, the gentleman named Roger Bannister. Sir Roger Bannister was the first person who ran um, a mile in under four minutes. Correct. And it was said before that it could never be done. Never be done. So not only did he run it, but what he made available is now it's a common thing for people to run the four under four minute mile. And it's interesting that he came to mind because he just passed into the spirit world two days ago. Yes. I learned. And so by sharing these, these CDs, which are also online as audio, people don't have to get a physical CD. Um, there's a website called cdbaby.com, and if you just type in Stuart Alexander, you can find them. Or if you go to stuartalexandermedium.com, you can find them as well. And to hear the stories, I think for now being in 2018, people that are unaware of physical mediumship or these these stories of the past, because they hear them, I think there's something in our minds that say, if that happened once, it can happen again. And so yes. my hope is to awaken many of us who want to go on this discovery to listen to maybe start our own home circles and to have these things alive again yes 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 i understand exactly what you're saying sandra i think if we compare the spiritualist movement today to what it once was or what it was for over a hundred years think that movements a step backwards. I do. Um, I believe that anybody that knows the history of the movements, you know, uh, and then looks at what spiritualism has morphed into, then they would have no option but to face the fact that spiritualism has taken a backward step. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever about that. None. And I think one of the main reasons for that, of course, we've got to remember that mediumship itself for over 100 years was the very heartbeat of the movement. It stood at the very centre of the movement, which indeed it does today. But if you compare the general general standard of mediumship today to what it was for over 100 years, I think you would have to admit that it is not of the same standard. It's not as, you know, it's not as readily available as it once was. And I think if we care to look at the reasons why or consider why that could possibly be the case, my opinion is that the home circle for over a hundred years stood at the very centre of spiritualism. It was the pulse beat of spiritualism. It was, you know. Now, I'm afraid to say that that's no longer the case. And most people are led to believe that they can attend courses uh, where where your connection with spirit can be enhanced uh, or, or that we can release the medium within and claims of that nature. Now, don't misunderstand, because I do believe that there is a place for courses and we can all learn from people who have the knowledge, we can be supported by them, we can be encouraged, we can be helped with development. There's no question about that. But unfortunately, a lot of people 
attending such courses think that they can become a medium very quickly and there is no shortcut to the development of mediumship and unless the home circle is reinstated back into the very centre of spiritualism I'm sad, sorry to say that I think the movement will continue to go downhill and I really do you know uh, why have we not got the general standard of mediumship today as we had for all of those many years so many years ago and that to me is the sole reason because the whole circle has been you know is no longer of great importance as it was for so many years you know and there is no shortcut to development and particularly with physical mediumship I mean, I believe Leslie Flint sat for many years, you know, many years before his medium developed, his physical mediumship. I sat for almost 15 years before anything physical happened. Sitting in circle, it's all in it together. Each member is important to us. Circle as a whole. You sit there with great patience, no particular expectations, other than the fact you will give everything you can, you know, to the spirit world. And you sit there, and you may sit there. And even if you sit there for five years, and at the end of that, you, you've got nothing. You haven't wasted your time, because where else in this troubled world of ours can people come together, all on the same wavelength, all singing from the same hymn sheet, all rolling the same dance, to be as one together, to shut the door to the outside world and leave the outside and see onto them. And so, you know, where else can you find, you know, that kind of situation becomes, you know, so it's wonderful to just be together and wait upon spirits, you know, and if it's possible, and if just one person develops, then the circle as a whole gains, everybody gains, the entire circle gains, you know. I keep getting this coming up on my screen, Sandra, I don't know if you, internet connection problem, there's a problem with the internet connection between you two, hold on while we try to get the call back. Oh, Can you, you know, what I, yeah, you're coming in a little bit blurry. How about I call you right back? And we'll see. Yes, okay. Okay. Oh, be right okay. back. That was very quick. Well, I'm fast. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you, is it all right now? Yeah, it's better. I, okay. I'm so, back to what you were saying, I am so grateful for technology because technology allows us to be doing what we're doing right now and to be able to share the CDs and so much more. But I think because of technology, so many of us are busy on our computers or our cell phones, and we're not getting together like the people did in olden days. I mean, there was no televisions or maybe beginning of televisions, but people got together to play their musical instruments, to sing. Families and correct. friends would be together, right? Correct. Absolutely correct. No question about that. Correct, Sandra. You know, there wasn't the distractions years ago that there are today. But then, if a circle is formed, people have to be committed to that circle. And if, for example, the circle decides to meet on a Monday evening, every Monday evening, at 7.30pm, then the circle should meet at 7.30pm every Monday. And the only reason for absence is... Illness, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, vacations, that kind of thing. But other than that, there are no other excuses. The circle has got to be committed. And if no one can commit that way, then there shouldn't be 
a, a member of the circle, you know. So I believe that the home circle must be reinstated back into mainstream spiritualism. I really do. I feel very strongly about this. And, you know, there is no shortcut to development. There really isn't a shortcut. And I think, you see, I, I know people who have gone along to courses, mm-hmm. never sat in a home circle, and within a matter of months, they're on a spiritualist platform demonstrating. Now, exactly what they're demonstrating, I'm not saying, but it's not mediumship. <laughs> you know, and you see this so often, and this is so, so sad, so sad. When you look back at these wonderful, wonderful mediums from the past, you know, it's it's wonderful, you know, just to, to see what they were actually producing, you know, wonderful. Well, to, to share a little bit about that, uh, Mr. Douglas Lawrence, he's the first couple of tracks I write on the CD. Um, he speaks about developing home circles and, um, and, and how not only to do it, but... It, you don't have to have someone in mind as a medium. It just can be people that are willing. Yes. Yes. To sit. To wait upon spirit. Wait upon spirit. Just to sit together in the hope that somebody may develop. That contact may be made with the spirit well. And that's what it should be about. You know, that's what it should be about. But in today, today we live in a, an instant world. We want instant results. And it's not possible with mediumship. It isn't, you know. And I've also known people who have been so promising, have been developing wonderfully well within home circles, who can't wait to get out and work in the, the, you know, before the public. And I don't understand it. I do not understand it. Because that could hold back further development of the mediumship. Right. You understand what I'm saying? If they had stayed within the home circle, totally unknown to the outside world, then in all probability, you know, their mediumship may have developed further, 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 but then it's limited because of the fact they choose to go out and demonstrate publicly. And I don't understand it. I don't understand. Our egos can kick in. And I've told my listeners, if you ever hear me developing an ego, that it's all about me, just they have permission to tell me smack my face, yes. whatever. And I know you're someone, too, that this wasn't going to be an interview about you and pushing Stuart Alexander, no. no, but to share stories that can make a difference and to help people know what's been possible before and what's still possible, I think it's so important. But the ego is something that we have to deal with sometimes. It is, Sandra. Do you know the only reason that I began working publicly, and that was for the North Ark Society, um, the Nerve Art Society, when it first came into being, and I became a member of the, the committee of the society, became its archive officer, and they didn't know that I developed physical mediumship. They had no idea, and I had no intentions of telling them, because we were a home circle, and oh, we I just see. started to get as a home circle. And then um, the very first demonstration of physical mediumship we had with the North Arts Society, uh, was at its very first residential seminar. And it was a young man at the time who was working under the name of Lincoln. And now we know him as Colin Fry. Yes. Okay. And he demonstrated, now I'd never ever experienced physical manifestation. The closest I'd got to that was sitting with Leslie Flint on several occasions and listening to these voices 
you know, speaking from, from, from the there. But other than that, I'd never witnessed what was happening in my circles. I'd never seen it because I was always in a trans condition. And so I was sat about three, four seats away from Colin Fry, and he was the medium for the night. And I think that was the first public demonstration he'd given. And I sat there, and the trump- there was two trumpets on the floor in terms of him, and I sat there, the lights went out, total darkness, and there would be 50, 60 people in circles gathered around. And what I witnessed just touched me. It, it was wonderful to see these trumpets flying all over the room and, and voices speaking. And I thought, I'm seeing what's happening in that circle, which I've never seen before. And the point I'm coming to is that afterwards, when everyone was socialising, I looked around and I could see the joy on people's faces, how people had been lifted, how, how what a difference it had made to their lives, just, you know, an hour and a half seance, and their lives had been transformed. And I remember looking around and thinking, I was so selfish, so selfish that we were keeping this hidden, keeping it to ourselves. Now, had I not have witnessed that, that night, then probably I would be speaking to you tonight. I'd probably still be just a part of the home circle, totally unknown. But that night transformed me, changed my mind entirely, and I thought, I'm so selfish, I've got to, you know, and so I started to work for the Noah's Art Society, and that's how I came out into the public. But I had no intentions, no intentions of doing that, but there we go, there we go. Yeah. So that's how I came to work publicly. That's excellent. <laughs> and you had mentioned um, Gene Woods, uh, and there's, I took some notes, some some of my favorite parts of the CDs, and he was from Ohio here in the USA, and there was a medium by the name of Chris, and he gave his recollection of his parents both materializing, and he could see them and talk to them. And of course, when they both yes. tried to appear at the same time, there wasn't enough power for them to both yes. talk and just really brief. But to hear stories like that, and it's, you know, it, it sounds so fantastic and so impossible that there could yes. be a substance such as ectoplasm and that our loved ones can step through it and become real again with warm hands and can kiss our faces and we can hear their voice. But to hear yes. those stories, ah, oh, incredible. Absolutely. You know, and the sadness is, Sandra, that a lot of spiritualists have no idea about this. None. You know, it's incredible. And so we're forgetting about the past. You know, a lot of spiritualists have no knowledge about these wonderful mediums from the past and what, you know, was what they were capable of producing within the system. None. And that is so sad. You know, that is so sad. And as I say, because now... We've turned it into like a, a man of religion, and I don't understand it. Because to me, spiritualism began life dealing with facts. Facts. Science deals in facts. Mm-hmm. We've made a religion out of spiritualism. I wonder why a religion hasn't been made out of science. Good question. <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing for me to say, but I mean, you know, they're both based on facts as far as I'm concerned, you know? Spiritualism is based and was based purely on fact. It didn't rely on faith at all. It had nothing to do with faith, you know. But anyhow, that's my that's my that's my, my okay. thought. 
But so many of the people that I've now read about and studied about mediums of the past and people that would sit with them, they're doctors, they're scientists, they're attorneys, they're prominent people. And it, yes. it Aristocracy, royalty, men and women of letters, yes. And they were tested. That's one thing that I've been down to a few seances and um, I'm careful who I talk to about it because people say, well, if something happens in the dark, how can you believe it? You know, how can you believe it? And to be present and witness phenomena and witness people's loved ones speaking through them. Yes, currently I have not seen anything happen within the light myself, but within, you know, people that I met and the stories that are on here, there's plenty of stories of people who have materialized in the light. But it's hard to try to, and nor would I ever try to convince anybody this is real, but I say... You know, sit. You know, just oh, I'm excited. <laughs> it is, you know, and I, my feeling about physical mediumship is that physical medium phenomena, physical manifestations, do not prove survival. They prove that something extraordinary is happening, but not necessarily survival. But when that when those manifestations are then coupled with survival evidence, then that's a mighty strong case for the reality of survival sure and communities. You know? And I always say physical mediumship on its own, very, very interesting and obviously a spectacle. Uh, obviously it is. But then if that is linked with survival evidence, you know, loved ones coming through and speaking to us, that's something else. You know, that puts forward a very strong case for survival. Can I share with you some of my favorite stories that are on the CDs? Yes. I was listening to them again this morning just because they feel so good to listen to. There's a Mrs. Gordon uh, talking about being in the, in some mediums back in the day, there was a dim red light on. But both her sisters who passed within, I think, nine months of each other and her father came out and spoke with her. Yes. That is a message of survival. Of course. That is. And then, um, what, what are some of the other ones? I think Mrs. Uh, Mr. William Cookson witnessed a girl materializing and kissing the mother and father. Yes, well, Bill Cookson, a uh, Scotsman, a Scotsman, uh, I knew him very well indeed. And uh, he, he was quite a character, was Bill Cookson, but quite a character. And, you know, his life was absolutely transformed when he attended this seance with Helen Duncan. And his brother, his deceased brother, came out of the cabinet and came across to him. And he said, he, was, he said, I was absolutely terrified, sure, because it's the first time he'd ever taken part in anything like this. He said, I was absolutely terrified. But, you know... Bill Cookson lived the remainder of his life many, many years on that one evening, that one experience. He did. He, he would tell everybody about it. You know, years and years later, after he'd had that experience, he would, so that's the impression that that made on his mind. You know, how it transformed his life, that one sitting. Absolutely. Wonderful. And sometimes Absolutely. I've heard stories of people who, uh, maybe their children are deceased, and they stop living themselves. It's like grief can kill us internally and I've spoken to people 30 40 years they've been 
their life has yes. been stopped. And if there can be an audio to listen to, a book to read, if people can visit a physical seance, start a circle and have this proof, we can go on living again. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I, I think it's every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it, to lose a child? No question about that. You know, and I, I've said many times that what goes on within the seance room can be extremely emotional. There's no question about that. Sure. But you can't, you know, you cannot escape the grieving process. And I always say, even spiritualists who are 100% convinced of survival, if they lose a loved one, then you cannot escape the grieving process. You know, it, it's not, it's nature. When my sister Gaynor passed as a result of a road accident, Gaynor sat for many years on my left-hand side. She always sat on my left. And knowing everything that we knew about survival and everything we'd experienced when we very unexpectedly lost her due to a road accident, we couldn't sit for several weeks. We just could not sit. Every one of us was so moved by this, we just couldn't sit. And eventually when we did sit, probably four or five weeks later, we didn't go into the seance room. We couldn't go into the seance room and we just sat in another room together. And it was the most emotional thing. It was a wonderful thing. And, and very quickly, we then went back into the seance room. But uh, So you cannot escape the grieving process. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a spiritualist, an atheist, whatever you are, you cannot escape the grieving process. You know. So I, I, I wouldn't, sort of, as a spiritualist, I wouldn't pretend to suggest that a spiritualist can escape the grieving process. That's not possible. Yes. It isn't. I, for me... Agree, but yeah. that being said, I do know communities like um, there's a worldwide organization called HelpingParentsHeal.org, yes. and they yes. not only help people through the grieving process, but they do embrace the reality of life after death. So they have an online group, and they meet in different locations. But it's really wonderful to get people together to support each other and hear these wow. magnificent stories. That it does help. It does help yeah. being a part of a community. It does help to alleviate some of the pain. And yeah. um, just as a reminder. Uh, there's another story I want to bring up. was Mrs. Ivy Northage from the oh, yes. That yeah. For our, our viewer right now or our listener, um, a man came through in the seance saying his name was George, and that was her father. Mm. Correct? And, yeah. And um, – she didn't know her dad as he she he had passed when I think she was just three months old. But he says, no, you go home and you tell your mother. And not only that, but he gave her five notes that he whistled, I think. Whistle. Yes. Yeah. And he repeated them and made her repeat them right there in the seance room and to go home and ask your mother. And it's so touching a story because sure enough, the mom looked up the, the, the father's birth certificate. She knew him as Henry. And he was actually yes. George Henry. So yes. that was the first. And then the daughter did the whistle. And the mother burst out in tears because back in the day when they were courting, he would walk outside the house and he'd whistle those five notes. And that would be their yes. little love sign. And she would come out and, and meet up with him. And yes. how precious is that? <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful. You know? I mean, I've heard similar stories uh, down the years, you know, 
And I just think to myself, you know, that is real evidence, real survival evidence. And how could you ever doubt again, you know, if you were fortunate to, to you know, receive that evidence? Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Did you mention what the Christmas tree seances were, the Christmas seances? Because I know there's a couple of stories within um, the CDs about that. Yeah, well, people back then, you know, up until maybe 30, 40 to 50 years ago, very often home circles would hold what were called Christmas tree seances and they would decorate the tree which would be in the centre of the, the circle and they would sometimes put toys on the tree or around the base of the tree and very often spirit children, spirit children would manifest and play with the toys, you know? I mean, how wonderful is that? <laughs> You know, absolutely wonderful. But I dare say that today, Christmas tree seances are probably unknown now. They belong to the past, you know? Uh, I don't know. As I say, I think we're taking the wrong turning, unfortunately. You know, unless we get back to basics, the home circle, then I think we should, as a movement, continue to go backwards. I really do. And I also think that we are, in a way, we were left a wonderful legacy a wonderful legacy by our pioneer ancestors, by our pioneer spiritualists, by our pioneer spiritualists, a wonderful legacy for us to capitalise upon. I mean, back then, people of real note, as you, you, you just said yourself, Sandra, men and women of letters, men from the world of science, people from the world of science, you know, investigated and tested and became absolutely convinced of survival, you know, and their risk their reputations, absolutely, risk their rep uh, reputation by standing up in front of the entire world and speaking what they firmly were convinced was the truth. And so they left us a wonderful legacy for us to capitalise on. And what have we done with it? We've betrayed them, as far as I'm concerned. You know, we've turned our movement into a religion, and I don't go with it. No, I remember at the uh, Banyan when you spoke, you were talking about Ma Marjorie Crandon and Houdini was trying to prove her as a fake. And there are yes. so many books out that are not accurate as to who this woman was. And so I think Absolutely. I think our nobody wants to be laughed at. Uh, I think a lot of people are afraid to share that this is something we're studying because people might think we're a little strange or weird. And then people do know that there have been frauds in the past and even... They have, might have yes. the story incorrect about Houdini and Marjorie. Yes, absolutely. I have read many books, many books, many articles about Marjorie Crandon. Her name is Minna, Minna, but that was a pseudonym, Marjorie. Okay. But many, many papers, many articles, many books. And I, you know, I suffer from high blood pressure. But when I read these books... Oh, no. <laughs> gets even higher, you know, because so often they deal in truth, untruth, facts, fiction, and always with a great deal of dramatic license, you know, all thrown into the mix. And none of them really tell the truth about Marjorie. You know, her husband, who was probably one of the most renowned surgeons of the day over in Boston, where, where she lived, um, you know, uh, a man of great social and academic standing. He risked everything, you know, for his wife's gift, you know, his wife's mediumship. He was 100% convinced that she was genuine. 
and she was. And you know, some years ago, I was very, very fortunate to be in contact with a lady called Marion Nestor. And Marion Nestor was the daughter of a Dr. and Mrs. Mark Richardson. And Dr. Richardson was um, worked with Dr. Crandon, Marjorie's husband. And um, they became part of the circle, the circle. And she, as a young woman, she grew up with the mediumship, basically. And as a young woman, she sat several times with the Marjorie circle. And she wrote several times to me. We corresponded quite a lot. And she told me what she experienced. And what she told me is always ignored, always ignored by all these critics that have come along, you know, to, to say that she, to condemn her as being a fraud. All of them totally ignore the manifestations for which there is no, there is no explanation other than the fact they were genuine. You know, wonderful, wonderful things, but none of these critics touch upon those things. They concentrate on things that could, you know, be explained away as the product of fraud. And I, you know, so often I become so annoyed about this because she was the most wonderful. She was known as the jewel in the crown of spiritualism. She was known as the eighth wonder of the world, you know, and I've no doubt. And she gave everything. She gave her life, you know. So her mediumship, and what did she get? You know, Houdini, when he became part of the Scientific American Committee who examined her mediumship, when he went into those, uh, became involved in those tests, we've got to remember that he was the most famous magician of the day, the most famous escapologist of the day. No question about that. Now, he had by then a reputation exposing fraudulent mediums. Now, when he went into those tests of Marjorie, he said that he would be open-minded. He was willing to be convinced. Well, I'm sorry, but it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. A magician thinks in a particular way. They do. They think in a particular way. And when it, and he, in actual fact, he admitted to an associate that he would catch her out because it took a trickster to trap a trickster. And this came to light well after he passed on, well after Udini passed on, that he admitted, he stated to an associate that he would expose the wonderful Marjorie. So the world's greatest magician, uh, world's greatest magician was coming up against the world's most renowned medium, and she was at that time. So he was hell-bent on exposing her, and there would be no way that she would convince him, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I could go on forever about it in actual fact, but it just annoys me when these critics totally, it's dishonesty. You know, they accuse Marjorie of being dishonest. They're equally as dishonest by totally ignoring the reality of what took place at 10 Lime Street. That was their address, 10 Lime Street, Beacon Hill, Boston, you know? She was a wonderful, wonderful medium, and I feel so sorry and sad that, you know, that this stigma was attached to her name and that of Dr. Fandon, you know? I could go on forever about this. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) You know, there's so many of the mediums of the past that I've heard. It's like they had other jobs. They weren't, some people just gave this away for healing. Others would charge just a small amount. uh, And 
they're really good people. I mean, there's a, I read the book about Alec Harris that his wife wrote, and that is my favorite book so far. On just yes. one evening, there are 23 souls or loved ones ah. step through, and, and it happened in the red light. And even on the CD set, um, I think, who was it? It was Mr. Douglas Lawrence was talking about seeing Helen Duncan still sitting in the chair, and yet Albert came up and he they told him to put the lights on for a short while and he could tug on his beard and pull on his ears and pinch his nose and feel that he's warm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at my seminars, um, we very often, oh, the last few seminars, the last few years, we have had uh, Alec Harris's grandson. Nice. And, you know, come along. And, of course, he grew up with the mediumship, if you like. We've also had Alex's uh, son, Bradley. He's come along and he's spoken to us. So it's just wonderful to have these people to sit there, to listen to their wonderful, mesmerizing, extraordinary stories, really. Well, I'll tell you something now, Sandra. Um, some years ago, some years ago, I was a member of the Society for Psychical Research, the England English Society for Psychical Research. And my mediumship had just begun to develop, the physical mediumship. And I felt I was duty-bound to contact them to ask whether or not they would like to send researchers to... I mean, I was totally innocent, you know? And so I did, and they sent two of their researchers along. After one of the sittings... One of the researchers, who will remain nameless, told us that he, some years earlier, had sat with Alec Harris. Ah. This is the story that he told us. This is the story that he told us. He said that he had uh, found out that the local spiritualist church had arranged for a party of people from the church, members, to go along to sit with Alec Harris. So he asked the president whether or not he could go, and the president said, well, I'm sorry, but it's fully subscribed to. We can't take anybody else. But if anyone else, uh, if anyone uh, drops out for any reason, then we'll give you the first, you know, invitation. Apparently, the day before, or two or three days before, someone who was due to go was ill, couldn't go. The president asked his researcher, would he like to go? And he said yes. And so he said... That morning, he said, we all gathered together outside the church, waiting for a bus to come along to take us all to sit with Alec Harris. He said, and I noticed there was an old gentleman holding a bouquet of flowers. He said, and I found out that this old gentleman had lost his wife a few weeks earlier, and he was taking the bouquet of flowers, hoping that his wife would materialise. So he said, they travelled to Alec Harris's home, he said, and we all sat in rows. He said, and I sat immediately in front of this old gentleman who was still holding his flowers. He said, and Alec Harris sat in the cabinet facing us all. He said, and after a while, he said, the curtains opened and this figure came out, this supposed materialisation. <coughs> he said, well, everybody was saying, oh, wonderful, wonderful. He said, but it was so dark, it was so dim, the light was so dim. He said, I, I couldn't see whether or not it was a material. It could have been Alec Harris in a bathrobe. He said, I didn't know. He said, and I sat there, he said, and then right towards the end, he said, the curtains opened, he said, and this little old lady came out. 
He said, and every hair on the back of my neck stood up. He said, and this old gentleman pushed me aside, ran forward, shouting his wife's name. He said, well, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. They kissed, they embraced. He said, they were, oh, she was there for some time. He said, and then I noticed she was, she was going downwards towards the floor. He said, and as I looked, I saw she was dematerializing, and as she was going down, he was going down with her, and at the end, he said, there was just a head on the floor, and she was saying, I've got to go, and he was saying, no, don't go, don't go, and she said, I've got to go, he said, and then it just went down into a bundle of ectoplasm, and it shot back into the cabinet, right, okay, a few years ago, that same researcher wrote a book, and in the book, he told the story of his sitting with Alec Harris and how he had exposed him as a fraud. So you tell me, you know, mediums accused of dishonesty, is that not dishonest? Was that not dishonest? You know, I couldn't believe this. I mean, I haven't read it. I haven't read it because, because I'm so infuriated, but I've been told this, this is what he claimed. And I said, I don't even want to read the book. I don't want to read the book. I'm not interested, you know. But so this, you know, it's not all one-sided. You know, you know, sometimes mediums can be fraudulent. They can be fraudulent mediums. They have been exposed, there's no doubt about it. But then you get equally, in my opinion, you can get dishonesty in all walks of life. And if it's not, if that is not an example of total dishonesty, I don't know what is. And unfortunately, Stuart, I think... Ego kicks in, greed. If we look at what's on television, I yes. always, I mean, everything is on the negative that's happening. Everything. And I always thought there should be a good news network. There's so much yeah. good happening in the world. And there's a something. Yeah. A balance. A balance. Yeah. But there's something that people know or they believe, and I don't know why. You know, a lot of people are, can focus on the negative or these reality shows that are crazy. Oh, yeah. So many people want to be a celebrity nowadays. I think that's the thing. But, you know, I think to myself, why did he do that? Was it because he wanted to say to the research, well, nobody else could see that he was a fraud, but I could see that he was a fraud? Was that the reason, you know, to bolster his own, you know, himself? I don't know. Now, having said that, I can tell you, Alan Crossley, Alan E. Crossley, who I consider as my second mentor, who had sat with these great mediums from the past. I, I knew Alan for some years. He formed a circle around me. It, it was the most wonderful person to be. Uh, some of the most memorable experiences of my life was to sit listening to him telling his stories. And he knew Ali Harris very well indeed. And the stories that he told us about what he'd witnessed, when sometimes three, four materialized forms would all be out in the room at the same time, holding conversations with people. He was there one evening when he noticed, he looked, the cabinet curtains were open. One of the guys, materialized, was in the circle. He said, I was sat immediately beside the cabinet. He said, I turned and I looked. He said, and I looked and I realized that Alec Harris's legs had disappeared. He said, there he was, his trunk and his head, but nothing below. He said, and I turned to tell Lily, that was Alec Harris's wife, he said, and she was talking. He said, I turned back and looked. He said, and it was just Alex's head. He said, suspended in midair, his body had gone. 
He said, and when I looked again, his head had gone and there was an empty chair. He said, so I turned to Louis and said, Louis, Louis, Alex is gone. Where is he? She said, oh, don't worry, he'll be somewhere around. <laughs> you know, he said, no big deal. <laughs> he said, we have the guard stop talking. And he turned and he said, uh, Louis, he said, go down the stairs, unlock the door, go out, and you find your husband on his hands and knees in the garden, wake him up and bring him back. He said, Louis went down the stairs. He said, we had the door unlocked. She went out. A minute later, came back up the stairs. Alex went back, sat in his chair, trying to trance, and the seance continued. I mean, if you'd seen that, if you'd experienced that, I mean, you know, so, so Alan Costley telling his stories to me, I mean, just, you know, wonderful. How fortunate he was in his life sure. to have people like, Eric Harris, Helen Duncan, he was a friend of Helen Duncan's, you know, various mediums, wonderful, oh, wonderful. I, yesterday I had the privilege of talking to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Warren. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and he was telling me a story, I don't know if we recorded it or not, but at your seances, you, there's some kind of a luminescent tape that you put on your knees? Or, yes. Uh, uh, yep, just to say that you're there. And he was, he was saying at one point you were levitated six feet off the ground. And, yes. Uh, and just incredible because it's just to witness it versus just hearing the story. Ugh. Have you but ever... All I, can say, Go ahead. all I can say, Sandra, is, is that these things did not happen overnight. Right. It took many, many years. My present circle now has been meeting, I think it's about 32 years so we've been sitting every week for 32 years, apart from vacations and Christmas, you know. So, But other than that, we've been sitting 32 years. So these things take time. And I always say we've never had materialization in the lights. But if the spirit people at our next circle said, Stuart, if you will give six months of your life on earth, we will be able to materialize in the light, I'd say take a year. You know, I, I would give that because I think it's the most wonderful thing that people can come along to the circle, you know, and especially if they're bereaved, recently bereaved, come along to the circle and go out a different person because they've had that ultimate proof. And I think, you know, that would be worth five years of my life, you know, for people to be able to experience that. But, yeah, but very often... Sorry? Could you, I just want, you, if you wouldn't mind, mention what direct voice is as opposed to like a materialization. Because yes. I think I've experienced that, but future. Yes. Direct voice doesn't emanate directly from the medium. Mm-hmm. It emanates from a point in space remote from the medium. With Leslie Flames, it was about a foot away from his left shoulder, the voices would speak. You know, but it was independence of it. He would very often speak at the same time. You know, he would take part in the conversations. You know, uh, with my own seances, sometimes they are independent in that way. They speak from a distance. Sometimes they speak through the trumpets. And I know you know what a trumpet is. You know, not a musical instrument, but right. you know, like a microphone. Like a megaphone. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So sometimes they speak through. I nearly said megaphone for the trumpets, you know. Um, yeah, so that is a direct voice. It doesn't emanate directly from the medium's vocal 
books, it, it comes from a point in space remote from the medium. So, so the spirit person speaking would be speaking in their own voice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I spoke yeah. to a young woman uh, who I met at Banyan, a mutual friend of ours, and she just was talking about at one of your seances how her husband had come through with specifics. Yeah. And it was just such a these stories, they heal us. And people may never have the opportunity to sit in a home circle or to visit a place to witness this. But I tell you, for anyone who's viewing or listening right now, to get a copy of this. And like I said, you can get it online. Um, it's in the episode here at cdbaby.com. Type in Stuart Alexander or stuartalexandermedium.com. They're so healing and Oh, just to, to know what's possible. And I'm all for sharing these audios as much as I can. And Yes. Yeah, because it, it helps. Are there plans for future? It does. But isn't it wonderful, Sandra, that these people, all those years ago, who recorded their recollections, that their voices are still being heard today. And that their recollections haven't died away with them. But, you know, no. there's still relevance. You know, you can't put a price on it. There is no price you can put on it. It's wonderful. And I'm just so delighted for all of these people, you know, that people can still listen to their wonderful stories, you know? I'll make Excellent. Sure. I'll make sure that they don't die. I'll keep sharing them. Are there plans for future um, audios being released? Because I think you've yes, recorded I quite a few. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's a question of finding the time and, you know, to do this. But I'm hoping there will be a follow-up to this, this first one. Yes, I am. Yes, I do. Selfishly, I, hope so. I want to listen. And can we talk, we haven't spoken about you, nor do we have time, really, about your, your journey and your book. But this yes. is available. And if you could just say a few words of what had you write this and what people could maybe find within the pages. Yes. Um, I, I have to begin by saying that quite some years ago, from time to time, people would say to me, Stuart, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? I said, no, no, I'm not interested in writing a book. You know, And people kept saying this. And the biggest problem for me, Sandra, and I do mean this hand on heart when I say this, I am not interested, remotely interested in self-publicity, I just aren't. And I thought the biggest problem about writing a book would be that it could be interpreted so very easily yes. as self-publicity, and I didn't want that. In fact, I wrote a great pains to point out at the beginning of the book that this has got nothing to do with it, you know, please, it's got nothing to do with it at all. But I wanted to tell my story, I wanted to tell how I became involved in spiritualism, my journey through spiritualism, the various people I've met, the incidents, expense, events, experiences that I've had. Because I think at the end of it, I remember reading some years ago um, Leslie Flint's book, Voices in the Dark, and thinking to myself, you know, to me, it was so inspiring yes. to read, just in the same way as when I read Finley's On the Edge of the Etheric. You know, and you mentioned some time ago, Sandra, about mediums who are not, you know, who, who don't even charge money. People in the past who have had other jobs, you know, and that's just been something they've done in, in the 
John Campbell Sloan, who Finley wrote about, you know, on the on the edge of the ether, he was just such a man, just such a person that he did work full time at another, you know, job, and then that was just something he did on on an evening, you know. Uh, so there's an example, you know, John Campbell Sloan, and there were many like him, you know, they were not professional mediums as such in that they were paid for the work they did. On behalf of Spirit World, you know. Uh, so I wanted to tell my story, how I became involved, the long journey that I've had, you know. Um, and, and that basically is what the book is about, you know. The people I've met, the experiences I've had, all of that, you know, that's what it's about, yeah. you know. The only, I'll tell you now, and this is true, and people who listen to this or see this uh, interview, you know, may not believe what I'm about to say, but this is the gospel truth. My one regret, my one regret about the book is the fact I agreed to have my photograph on the front. I really, honestly, I, uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I really, you know, that's not me, you know. But yeah. So that's my, my single regret that I agreed to having that. Well, but also, I'm mentioning a good-looking the picture, though. <laughs> Bobby, you don't wear glasses, do you? Well, I said, <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. It's time to have your eyes tested. Oh, <laughs> what I've done in the book as well is, is mention people who've been important on my journey. You know, um, people uh, such as the lady who I consider to be my first mentor, which was a lady called Kath Matthews, long since in spirit. But she was a wonderful, wonderful medium, wonderful medium. And she created a circle. I've been very fortunate. She created a circle around me to try to develop the mediumship further. And after her, there was Alan Crossley, the man I mentioned earlier, you know, and he did the same thing. So I've been very, very fortunate. But it's been a pleasure to mention people like that, you know, people that the spiritualist movement, well, especially Kat Matthews, you know, would long since have forgotten. You know, she was just a private person, you know, who occasionally demonstrated on the spiritualist platform. But she was just excellent medium, excellent person. So it's been a real pleasure to, to mention her, you know. Yes. So, there we go. Oh, Stuart, <laughs> thank you so much. This has just been fantastic and for our listener or viewer right now i i know from my own life that i i've kept it quiet my journey and i never you know i was, I was so afraid what people would think am i strange am i weird and once i did write my book and i started sharing with the radio show i realized more people than not are interested not everybody and never pushy but you don't have to share any of this. This can be your own personal journey. And I, w I recommend so much, not only Stuart's book, because he does not brag about himself, but it's some very good reading. And without a doubt, this CD or just the audios, because you can download those digitally and listen to them immediately if you like. There's something uh, that gives me life by being in this conversation. I know when people watch and read all those, um, some of those reality shows that are negative or the negative things in the news, that does not enrich our lives. But 
reading like this, visiting places like I've visited and met you at Banyan Retreat, those places enrich my life, warm my heart, and I'm filled with so much love and laughter. Can I just say one further thing, Sandra? Because something that you've just touched on, in actual fact, and and I share this with you, you know, I had my own business for 30 years, okay, it was important that my mediumship would stay under wraps because I knew that if it became common knowledge, it would adversely affect the business. No question about that. Yes. Also, also, my sons grew up knowing, absolute, knowing absolutely nothing whatsoever about spiritualism, really? my mediumship, nothing, absolutely nothing, because we kept the two separate the business, the family life, the mediumship. We kept them separate. You know, I've always said you can't be a medium 24 hours a day, seven days a week because it's unhealthy. And I can tell you the first time I became entranced, the very first time I became entranced, a few days later, uh, I was at work. In actual fact, it was a lunch break. Everybody had gone for the lunch, and I was sat at my desk, and suddenly I felt spirit person who used to control me that first time, doing close and whoa, whoa, I can't have this, I can't have this and I made an agreement then, in my mind, with the spirit world, I said, look, I cannot have you in my everyday life, I just can't, you know, I've got to keep this separate, but what I can promise is that when I walk into the Sion soon, then I will give everything, everything I possibly can give, and from that day on They've kept their past to the bad end, and I've kept mine. And I always say, I mean, we are family and friends who have no idea that I do what I do. None whatsoever. They haven't. But what I do say is that when I walk into the Sion soon, then I become Stuart Alexander. I become somebody else. When I walk out, then I become just me again. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. And I think, and I've met people over the years mediums developing etc who live the mediumship 24 hours a day seven days a week that's the sole topic of conversation and i think but this must distract from what they would otherwise be capable of you know because it weakens it in some ways you know they should really keep it quite separate and then when they stand to work as a medium then they can give far more than they would otherwise be able to give I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. And I know for myself, there's sometimes I've got so wrapped up in the afterlife conversation that I forget about the living. Yes. Easily done. Oh, I was with my mom, who's 75, uh, last week, and there was an opportunity to do an interview with someone that I really wanted to, and it just hit me. Mom's alive and right in front of me. (laughs) We can certainly push this interview off till next week. And I can be with the person I love. It's just so easy. Stuart, I want to just share something that you have written on your website. And once again, for our listener or viewer, Stuart Alexander Medium is the is his website.com. 
StuartAlexanderMedium.com. But you wrote, through this online presence, my goal is to encourage the formation and development of more home circles out of which new generations of trance and physical mediums may emerge and demonstrate the wondrous reality of survival of the human soul beyond death and tangible communication between the two worlds. That really sums up what you're about. Not ego, not selling a book, but to really connect the two worlds and let people know the reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Any last words? What can I say over over and above what I've already said, Sandra? It's been a real pleasure, you know, to to do this interview. Um, And I just hope that people who listen to it or see it will be able to appreciate the fact that we together have done what we've done this afternoon because we passionately believe with our all hearts in survival and in communication. And I do believe that the world today would be a greatly different place if mankind could finally accept that, you know, as a fact. Because as the spirit people often say, if that was possible for the whole of mankind to be convinced, then truly we could have heaven upon earth. And I've no doubt about that, you know, no. So thank you very much indeed for this opportunity to talk. Thank you, and thank you for our listener, our viewer, for spending this hour with Stuart Alexander and myself. Uh, Once again, you can check out his book, Stuart Alexander, An Extraordinary Journey, and the fantastic audio of Physical Seance Room Recollections. And in the description of this episode, I have exactly where you can get those, and they're really worth listening to and reading. Uh, our home base for this show is we don't die radio.com, which now you can find 244 episodes about the afterlife and living a good life. And also as a gift, if you are someone grieving, I have a very healing audio called how to survive grief, which as Stuart was talking about, we can't get away from the grieving process, but it gives some understanding of why we grieve and some things to alleviate the pain. And that's my gift to you. And this September 2018, I will be one of many speakers at the Afterlife Symposium. And we will have some representations about physical mediumship. And if you're somebody interested in learning more about creating um, a home circle, I encourage you, well, even just go to afterlifesymposium.org and see some of the speakers and maybe join our organization. It's, I think, $25 or $35 a year and lots of great people. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I personally do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on Earth is important. So I really want to thank you for listening or for watching. And a big thank you to my friend, Stuart Alexander, who always brings a smile to my face. So thank you so much, and we'll see you soon.